Support for today's episode of Script Apart comes from We Screenplay. If you just completed a draft of a script and are wondering what next, well, you need to check out We Screenplay. We Screenplay not only offers amazing free resources, like virtual events where your questions are answered by Hollywood's leading professionals. With incredible 72-hour turnaround, format-specific feedback tailored to your specific goals, and a price that no one else can come close to, We Screenplay coverage is used by thousands of writers in every phase of their careers, from emerging writers still finding their voice all the way to Oscar winners. So if your script is all ready to go, check out one of We Screenplay's labs, where dozens of writers have been repped, optioned, and staffed as a direct result of the real-life industry meetings and hands-on workshops offered by We Screenplay. Don't stay stuck. We Screenplay want to help. Check out We Screenplay by visiting wescreenplay.com or clicking the link in today's show notes. Support for this episode also comes from our friends at Screencraft. Breaking into Hollywood as an aspiring writer can be a confusing, convoluted thing. Fortunately, Screencraft is here to help writers with both the craft of writing and the business of Hollywood. Screencraft has everything for your writing journey, from video lectures starring your favorite writers to hands-on career coaching with their excellent writer development team. These guys offer the best screenwriting competitions designed to help your talent shine, featuring judges that really know their genre, from top literary reps to Oscar-winning screenwriters. Hundreds of past winners and finalists have started their careers with the direct support of Screencraft. Winners have been staffed on shows at Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV+, the list goes on. They've also sold scripts and been hired to write films for the likes of Universal, Lionsgate, Blumhouse and Hulu. So if you're an aspiring writer, what are you waiting for? Don't wait to check out ScreenCraft today. Visit ScreenCraft.org or click the link in today's show notes. Hey everyone, how are we all doing today? Welcome back to another episode of Script Apart, a podcast about the first draft secrets of great movies and TV shows. My name's Al Horner, and on today's episode, pack your bags, everyone, because we are heading to Malia with Molly Manning Walker, writer and director of the incredible How to Have Sex. Since wowing audiences at Cannes last summer, the Sun, Sea and Consent drama has been hailed as one of the strongest feature debuts by a British filmmaker in recent years, and rightly so, in my opinion. This is a movie that has sparked long overdue conversations about the attitudes towards sex that young people in this country inherit, and it does so in such a mesmerizing way. The film tells the tale of Tara, a 16-year-old played by Mia McKenna-Bruce, on a rite-of-passage summer holiday blowout with friends while she awaits the results of her GCSE exams. What begins as a sun-soaked adventure full of karaoke and brightly colored cocktails soon becomes something bleaker when the girls meet a group of boys in the holiday rental apartment opposite them. Amid the thumping music and blinding lights of Malaga's party scene, a taboo-shattering expose of everything wrong with the way teenagers are encouraged to view sex unfolds, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Molly wrote the film after revisiting her own memories of going on clubbing holidays, and realizing what little room there was for discussion about the pressurizing sexual elements of those trips. She herself was the victim of a sexual assault at age 16, and describes wanting to talk about it, but I would walk into rooms and it would suck the air out of the room. How are people supposed to move on if no one's allowed to talk about it? 
How to Have Sex is a movie that finally dares to have that conversation and does so movingly without ever lurching into lecturing or sentimentality. In the spoiler-filled conversation that you're about to hear, Molly breaks down key scenes from the movie, including the heart-wrenching final exchange in the airport between Tara and Skye, what isn't being said in that moment and why. We talk about what she's learned about how global the problems depicted in How to Have Sex are, by the response to the film Beyond Britain, and also how working on this film at the same time as Scrapper, Charlotte Regan's brilliantly surrealist comedy set on a UK council estate, taught her about the necessity of female coming-of-age stories. It was a great conversation to be part of, thanks to Molly for being a wonderful guest, and a massive thank you as ever to our Patreon supporters for helping make this show possible. If you're not yet a member of that community but you'd like to be, head to patreon.com forward slash script apart, where for the price of a single monthly cup of coffee, you'll get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and the chance to ask your questions to upcoming guests. That address one more time in case you're interested, it's patreon.com forward slash script apart. Okay, that's all the housekeeping out of the way. Let's get into it, shall we? This is the fantastic Molly Manning Walker discussing the first draft secrets of how to have sex. Thanks everyone so much for tuning in. You're listening to Script Apart, hosted by me, Al Horner, produced by Camille Demack. Molly, so great to meet you. Thanks so much for coming on Script Apart and massive congratulations on all your success of the last few months. We're speaking a couple of days after the US release for How to Have Sex. In fact, you've, you've been over in the States doing press for the film. I'm curious, Molly, were there any kind of specific Britishisms from the film that you had to explain for the American audience while you're out there? Because I, I can imagine some confusion at, at some of the slang, perhaps, just because it is so true to how UK teens talk. Yeah, it was funny. Like, um, actually, when we were shooting it, we made an A to Z a dictionary for the Greek crew, which was like butters. And um, they obviously they call chips crisps. So like for like, <laughs> they had thought we were talking about cheesy crisps for a long time and actually we were talking about cheesy chips, but they understood them to be crisps. Anyway, so I was really worried that the US audience would also feel the same. But they found it somewhat funnier than the UK audience. And I don't know whether they're laughing at us and not with us. But when there's a cut in it to like when they're really hungover and they found it so funny. So who knows what's going on? We didn't have to translate too much, which was great. Well, if this film, among kind of all the other kind of more serious legacies of this movie, if it can get Americans starting to kind of begin sentences with oi and and get them calling each other babe and stuff like... I'm pretty down for that. Um, in all seriousness, though, Molly, um, you wrote the film kind of inspired by your own experiences of, of Brits abroad holidays, which is a huge part of our culture here. Like for so many people of Tara's age in this film, this type of trip to Ayanapa or Ibiza, wherever it may be, it's it's kind of a rite of passage. As you've traveled with the film, seeing it kind of reach cultures beyond our own. What have you learned about the prevalence of the problems depicted by How to Have Sex? Have you, have you been surprised at all by how universal the film is, having made it kind of with, with specificity to UK attitudes? Or 
Did you suspect that maybe every country would have their own version of the same problem? Definitely didn't suspect it. And and I think that's been the most kind of like empowering and also heartbreaking thing is that even if, you know, like you said, these these holidays are so like culturally specific to to us, but everyone sort of has their version of it. If it's spring break or Australians have schoolies or um, or even just house parties and people going out and lots of people have talked about like university culture and that like freshers week and the drink, the drinking culture around that that is expected um but also provides like yeah um so it's been interesting how it translates but I think the biggest surprise has been how older people have reflected and found their own experience within within it even though it doesn't directly reference it if that makes sense yeah yeah which is disheartening you know it's a decades lasting problem that the film explores the fact that so many generations of people clearly recognize what Tara goes through and how to have sex. Well, it, it kind of underlines, I suppose, why we need this film. I know that you wrote the movie, Molly, from a, a place of regret at how when you were the victim of a sexual assault, you felt like there, there wasn't really a vocabulary for people to have a conversation about it. So on top of, being, uh, on top of it being a traumatic experience, it was also a lonely one. It must mean so much to you that so many people are having those conversations now on the back of this film. When you stop to imagine a young person going through what Tara does in this film, but possibly being able to have a conversation about it with friends because this film lends them that vocabulary, how does that make you feel? Where does that rank among like the best accomplishments of, of how to have sex? I mean, it's totally overwhelming, to be honest, to think about it. And I think it's been definitely the most a beautiful part of the journey. We we showed it in a high school very recently that was quite a rowdy high school. And, like, they were sort of climbing on the tables and throwing stuff at the teacher. And they just watched the film and they were discussing the film. And these two kids stood up and, and explained why it wasn't assault. And these kind of really rough boys at the back who you would suspect might be more aggressive stood up and explained consent to these other kids that didn't think it was assault and for me watching that was like wow we really gave them the language and also the the distance to be like what Paddy did you know not talking about themselves distancing it and seeing but but being having such a relatable experience on screen yeah it's it's totally the the best part of this journey for me is it was seeing that and thinking wow if if they have the language to talk about that then that's that's better than any award better than any part of the process that's really special i should also ask molly about like you know the actual writing of the project and how cathartic it was or how potentially difficult it was because you know this as we've been discussing is a film that does come from a personal place it also involves, uh, you know, a subject matter that we as a society are so unused to talking about with this kind of nuance. Did the script tumble out of you because this was something that is was coming from a piece of your past? Was it something that was incredibly difficult? Take me back to the to the actual writing process and, and what it felt like to get the first draft of this story down on the page. Yeah, I think it was super cathartic for me. I mean, um, it definitely tumbled out of me in a way that I didn't expect. I'd been trying to write things bef- 
for that and that were not to do with this and and I definitely were hitting roadblocks along the way and it was proving quite difficult and when I sat down to write this it really flowed and it continued in a very organic flowing way throughout the process and I guess that's what made us realize that it felt like it was the right thing and that we were making something that people would relate to because it felt so important to all of us and it and it was sort of it was tumbling out at speed so it felt very organic in that way and what did that mean for the first draft of of the film molly was that first draft that tumbled out of you was it quite similar to the finished film we now know and love or or were there different different characters different story beats yeah so the original one it was four girls um four girls four boys it and only really later in the casting process did it become a queer couple. Um, and then also, like, there was feedback to trim it back to three so that it's like there was no need for a fourth character. We could embody that person within the other three and make it simpler. Um, and three is always a bit more complicated as well because there's always someone left out, which, which, was, which was great. Um, the first draft was like 60 pages, I think. And it didn't have like the last assault in it. That's really interesting. Well, maybe we can come back to to that last assault because it really does change, like I suppose the ambiguity of the film. There have been previous assaults till that point, but then another threshold is crossed. Um, but before we talk about that though, Molly, like um, you mentioned how like there, there wasn't the queer representation in that first draft. Did you change that you know in iterative drafts because you wanted that that broad spectrum of different uh different couples different people having sex yeah it was that but also i guess we we did this amazing development process where we did workshops all around the uk and we discussed consent and also teenage life with these these teenagers and i guess what came out of that was that the conversation around consent really felt like it hadn't moved forward you know it felt quite scarily backdated in fact it felt kind of worse than what the conversation was that we were having at that age but what did feel like it had moved forward was the conversation around being queer and and how accepted that was and kind of wanted to show that that things do progress and with conversation things do progress and that we have changed things um and it's a shame that this conversation kind of gets left behind um but also when we were casting it, quite late in the casting process, a queer girl came in to play M. And I was like, oh, maybe she could be queer. We were quite struggling to find like what the difference was to fit into that dynamic. And um, when this queer girl came in, I was like, that actually says so much without having to say so much as well. That is really surprising to hear that like there's been backward steps in terms of these conversations. Like when I was growing up, consent was like literally the only context I can think I ever heard that word was like, you know, your parents consenting to let you go on a field trip or something like that at school. Like we, we didn't have that in terms of sex. Signing a permission slip. <laughs> yeah. 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 But so wait, so when, when you say there have been backward steps, like, um, I suppose on one hand I'm shocked because the word consent and, and ideas around consent are so much more universally discussed but I suppose what we have to also contend with is 
the rise of kind of like Andrew Tate type figures. So, so yeah, talk me through it. When you say that things had gone back and that in ways the, the conversation is in a worse place than it was, you know, for, for earlier generations, what sort of things were you hearing that made you think that? I think that Andrew Tate ha- conversation has made a huge impact like uh, on young men. And I think, and young women, to be honest, and I think there is, with all things, right, there's a huge push in one direction and then there's a rebuttal of that and you have to keep, like, moving it forward and moving it back. So I think with, like, the Me Too movement and sort of that wave of there was a huge push forwards and a rebuttal of that looks like people who feel aggressed by that. And I think there is also... So basically the reason we did those workshops was that one of the financiers was like, I may destroy you out in the world. We've also got sex education. Do we really need to talk about consent anymore? You know, um, and it was super interesting because I think there's a concept of Gen Z that is queer and talking about their issues very publicly. And I think that is almost a Netflix created idea of what Gen Z kids are like. And actually the reality of it is, is that they're very in their phones they're very um susceptible to stuff that is fed on the internet and we in these workshops there was such a range of people that young girls were standing up and being like what do you expect if you wear a short skirt and go out and get drunk of course you're going to get assaulted and we were just so shocked by this and then you know young boys being like yeah got smashed last night went back to a hotel room with a girl don't really remember what happened and we were like ah like what yeah that's that's so i mean it's shocking but it's um it's all the more reason why like a film like this has to exist and um yeah and has to exist with a title i suppose as bold as the one that you gave this film molly like those words how to have sex as a title it's kind of a misdirect because really the film is about all the things we need to do to unlearn our current attitudes towards sex. There is no blueprint in this movie for how to do things right, like the title implies. Can you tell me what the title meant to you, whether there were ever any other titles in the mix, and um, the journey that you went on with that title after writing the script? Because I've heard that when you started to shop the script around, there were a lot of jokes from kind of the exact people who needed to be seeing this film. sort of no one knew what they were doing and we were all teaching each other yeah that's fine you should do that or yeah this is how it's meant to be and actually we never interrogated that and we never interrogated where those preconceptions were coming from you know and it's we we often get in q a's like but i didn't learn how to have sex so i think there is sort of like room for a for a tutorial out in the market um of like female pleasure and understanding what sex is because I think genuinely people are so fucking confused by it and the title yeah I think everyone was back the title and loved the title through the process there was like a bit of pushback when we first publicly announced the film where like a lot of bots on Twitter or like you know people on Twitter were maybe I'll learn something or maybe like I don't need to see this film because I already fucking know what I'm doing like that kind of thing and that it continues with that thing but 
um, I kind of I kind of love the discussion around the title. Let's dive into some beats from uh, from House House Sex. The film, of course, begins with our characters touching down in Malia. We hear the like landing announcement of, um, you know, I think an airline steward that they're, they're directing passengers to be careful opening the luggage compartments and so on. Was there ever a temptation to show Tara's life at home before the trip? I can imagine for, for practical reasons, it was easier to contain the film to one country as a shooting location. But I'm curious if like at any point across drafts, like there was a moment where you considered shooting scenes um, back in the UK, showing more of Tara's life and these girls' lives back home. Well, I never really wanted to go to their, to their, into their backgrounds too much of that because I, I wanted to encapsulate like that holiday without adults and what it feels like to be sort of like exploding away from real life. So yeah, there was never the backstory sort of story. Yeah. Scripted at all. You don't really need it because in the opening scenes, especially like there, the friendships between them are established in like this succession of really beautiful scenes. And you see like the innocence they share. There's, that there are those beautiful sunset shots where the girls are all kind of splashing around in the sea and there's something almost like baptismal about them and and something as small as kind of like the girls kind of splashing around after a after a cigarette packet there's so much glee to it and the the friendships immediately feel really lived in can you talk to me about how you approached these early scenes? Because as I say, like you get a sense of who the characters all are and you also kind of start to thread in specifically what Tara thinks sex is going to be versus the reality. She's obviously less experienced than, than her friends are. Yeah. Um, we actually shot that, that beach scene on the first day. It was the first thing we shot. And I think something magical about scheduling and like how exci- the, the excitement for the shoot and like all this build up for the shoot and shooting that on the first day, it meant like a huge, I think a huge amount to that moment um and yeah we wrote these huge backstories together and 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 try I tried to give them as much armor that when we were improvising they could pull from those backstories and like understand where they were coming from um and the idea was always that Tara had had an older brother and so like could navigate social situations with older guys especially quite well because she'd probably been around his friends and been been around him a lot but sexually wasn't as experienced as that as the others or at least as, however the others perceive themselves because I we always talked about Sky probably not having much experience but pushing that experience outwardly to sort of hide her, her own naivety um and then I guess there was a bit, there was a lot of discussion about like their mums and their families and how protective they are of each other and what they've learned from that as well. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of backstory work in order to kind of influence that first opening. Was there a tick list that you had that helped structure the first act? Because we we see them do all these things that I suppose in making a film about a girl's holiday you kind of couldn't leave out. So helping each other pick out clothes, like drunk karaoke, hearts to hearts on the way back from the chippy, all those kind of things. Like 
<laughs> did, did you have a list of things that you wanted to make sure you were including in, in the film in that sense? Those were all like quite heavily scripted, those, those scenes. Um, but yeah, I just tried to think about what we did when we were that age and, and like, and set, and set up the world that recur that recurring night day you know that you have on those holidays you get pissed you go for the chips and then you talk about your emotions or you get laid or whatever you know whatever that is um and also this idea that you know the first night out was meant to be like you can have these quite beautiful nights with your friends where you get absolutely trashed and nothing happens i think it was quite an important statement for me to sort of say it's not that it because I, I was quite conscious about how how we perceive partying and the party world, you know. Well, it's on the way back from the chippy that first night that we first hear the girls talking about exams and how their lives are at this point in which, you know, everything is hinging on grades that will determine their options in terms of school and stuff. And um, across the film, of course, Tara's going to get some bad news in terms of her grades. I know that lots of people go on these kind of trips as a post-exams thing. It is part of the reality of when people go on these trips. But um, was there something also that you wanted to explore through the decision to make this the backdrop for the film? Because, yeah, it, it feels really purposeful. It feels, like, intertwined in some way. Like, uh, it's another way of showing that, you know, here's a girl, Tara, who's on the brink of adulthood, but so much of that adulthood like sex is daunting and unknown and often not in her control yeah i really wanted to add like a ticking time bomb on it you know like you know that there's going to be this kind of seismic shift in her life and all of their lives that you you're not sure how it's going to land and it's edging nearer and nearer towards it and that you, you kind of don't know when it's going to drop and that moment i always fascinated by the fact that we take these exams that quite scarily change your life in quite a, a large way at such a young age where you're kind of still figuring out who you are. And even when we went to film school, you know, went to film school at what age, 18, 19. And in the first year, they sort of split us off into like, they choose 10 directors who they think will be directors. And even that always blew my mind. I'm like, you're telling people that they can't be something at such a young formative age there's kind of a strange authority in it which is so sad I think because what if Tara is a great musician or you know I don't know but like you're you're sort of like crushing some hopes and dreams and I find the education system so mad in that way where of course life is is more messy than that Tara soon meets Badger, who is a really interesting character. Like, uh, Tara describes him as a sexy clown. Like, uh, he's a bit of a knucklehead, but there is there are glimpses of a sweetness. And um, then just as their relationship is, is developing, we have this pivotal part in the film, this pivotal scene where at a party, um, the hosts kind of announce they, they need two men to come up on stage Badger goes up and then is made to take part in this game that culminates in him receiving oral sex on stage. Can you talk me through that moment, Molly, and, and what it means to the film and, and also what it speaks to in terms of like, I guess, a reluctance that I've noticed even in your short films to 
you seem to be someone who doesn't want to depict all male characters as cartoonishly evil. There's there's something nuanced going on with Badger that speaks to how young men engage in a performance of what they think they're supposed to be doing sexually and and that's the type of exploitation too it's it's a different exploitation it's a lesser exploitation than what girls like tara suffer but it's an exploitation all the same yeah i think it's really we really wanted to make a film which didn't lock men out of the conversation and i think how can we continue this conversation without having it as a societal issue rather than you know either women fighting it alone or it just it just feels like let's all change the way that we've learned how to have sex and I think yeah that is an assault that Badger goes through he gets called up on stage he doesn't know what's going to happen and he's um and it's sprung upon him that 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 happened he then has to act powerful and in control of the situation and like he's enjoying it because as men you know like that's the perceived dream of it it's some it's a scene that i i say scene it's <laughs> i often reference my own life like that is it something that i saw in real life um when we were on a girls holiday we were on a bar crawl and the sort of it started very like sexual shot shots passing between mouths you know and then sort of as we got as everyone got more drunk, we they called two boys on stage and we watched them get blowjobs on stage. Um, and it was a moment that has really just stayed with me for a long time. And I thought I'd really heightened it. And then recently, like, connecting with some old friends, like, we, I was like, that happened, right? And everyone was like, yeah, that happened. I remember it. And what that effect it had on us as 16-year-olds of, like, what women should be what how we should all act how men should act how it's just so crazy and I think yeah really discussing the like especially the fragility of men and and how they don't have to know exactly what they're doing and they don't have to hold the court and it can be a two-way dynamic is like a pivotal part in this conversation changing the tragedy of that scene I suppose is um and it, it, it comes out in the direction I suppose like there's this gap between what Tara is saying and what she's expressing about seeing this. She's engaging in the performance of like, yeah, that was brilliant, but actually written across her face in the way that you frame her is like um, a kind of repulsion and disappointment because she was getting to know this guy. Was that the case for you when, when you remember sort of experiencing that? Did you go along with the idea that, yeah, wasn't that hilarious when actually your real emotion was, was something else? Yeah, I think we all sort of, you know, and, and, and I guess you see it in the film, that's a kind of crowd mentality of like, woo, keep going. Like, um, and I, so I, I really vividly remember standing on a pool table with a cover on it, watching this happen and like obsessing the room and being like, everyone seems to be good with this. So then we sort of like all just like, yeah. Um and 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 I think that that's the essence of the film, you know, is like how much of our youth was pretending that we also agreed, you know, or or that we were enjoying a situation that actually deep down we were confused and uncomfortable about. I mean, it is bad. There is like this entire cottage industry, like of these these places, these holiday resorts, that is all based around that, and um, to the point where I think I noticed because you obviously shot on location out of season at one of these places it struck me watching the film again that like 
I might be imagining this, like, but the pool is kind of shaped in like a phallic way, I think. And I was like, I bet that's not an accident because like these places, they are based on like everything's insinuation. Everything is geared towards sun, sea and sex. That's how it's sold. Yeah. And we actually, we'd already booked the hotel. We were like standing on the roof for a tech recce, looking at where the light should go. And we all started looking at the pool and we're like, mm, it's the pool. Yeah. And then we like looked around in the hotel and I was like, um, and it's his like pride and joy that his, the pool was shaped in the, as a dick. And, 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 and then in that moment you realize that a, that you picked the right hotel, but also that, yeah, the whole industry is, is, is shaped around that. I mean, in these resorts across the board, there's naked towels, naked women, towels, naked women, lighters, naked women shot glasses naked women playing cards it's the pressure from all angles in those spaces is so giving like the male gaze power and and even you know when you boil it down it's like all the women can come in for free all the men pay and then it's like that dynamic's already quite strange all the women get free drinks which means they're drunker than the it's like it's all quite, once you start unpicking it, it does unravel quite quickly. So of course, um, Tara's reaction to seeing Badger take part in this, this kind of sexual pantomime, like uh, she decides to go off with, um, with this guy, Paddy. And there's another really, really, really pivotal scene on the beach can you talk to me about like uh, this character? It sounds like, um, you know, the, the later assault that Paddy uh, commits, that was something that came further into the uh, development of the script. Was this beach scene in from the very beginning? And, and if so, like, what did you want to explore through it in terms of like the murky areas that like our conversations around consent currently don't often acknowledge? Yeah, for me, this scene was always in and it was kind of the pivotal, it was kind of what, it was almost where the film ended originally. And I guess from the conversation is that I think consent's become very binary. It's about yes and no, and everyone's obsessed with yes and no. And I think actually it should be about two people having a good time. It should be about pleasure. It should be about like the enjoyment of two people together, like really simply, you know, and I think it was funny because a lot of older generation people would watch the one of the first cuts and they'd be like, you have to take out the yes. And we were like, no, it's kind of, that's the point is that like, she says, no, 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 it's never taken as definite. He's like over her and he's taken her clothes off and she looks really uncomfortable and she does say yes. But why is that the the factor rather than engaging with how she's feeling? I guess the whole conversation is is kind of rooted around that beat scene so if it was if it was originally almost where the film ended as you said like what was behind the decision to kind of explore the aftermath because it's a really interesting journey that, that tara goes on after that point we needed to track how she felt about that experience we need to understand that she was you know i think she doesn't know straight away how she feels about it but she knows that she feels uncomfortable and that it wasn't a good experience and then we felt like we had to track that emotion with her and what um, and how she pieces it together in her mind. And then the second assault came sort of to show that the first one, to show how bad the first one was. 
but in a different way if that makes you know they're so similar and yet so different and then she can talk about both experiences in a similar realm so yeah the the last third really became a de- development which reflected on that beach scene and when you did add in that like final scene that there's the ambiguity that isn't really ambiguity but could be interpreted as ambiguity as to whether it was a soul on the beach there is no mistaking what happens in the bed later on in the film can you tell me about writing that and um yeah it's it's a difficult it's a difficult scene to watch was it a difficult scene to write molly it it was a difficult scene to write and and I think it's something that so many women have gone through and so many people, you know, it's almost strangely too normal. Um, but the idea was that it would always be really quick. And I think almost therefore like more confusing and upsetting because it's so quick and the, the in the past in the films, rapes or assaults have been shown in such like, longitude like longitude is that word <laughs> length yeah. and therefore like you're sort of you're you're allowed you're allowed to understand what's happening more um but it was it was a really hard scene to write and it was a harder sh- scene to shoot for sure and, and what is also really interesting about that scene i suppose is where it leads tara because the film ends with her confiding in m that Paddy raped her and M's reaction it's kind, it, it is sympathetic but it's not like the ideal response she she says that Tara should have said something during the trip and um they kind of board their plane back to the UK as if like what happens in Malaga stays in Malaga when of course it can't why was it important to you to acknowledge like that conversation or, or lack of a conversation like it's um it's very pointed the fact that like M does not have even even someone who has you you've gone through the entire film seeing M as someone who kind of has it together. She seems like one of the more mature characters that we meet. She doesn't have the vocabulary to know how to deal with it. Yeah, I think you know we don't have the vocabulary, especially at that age. We don't have the vocabulary, and I think I didn't I didn't want to solve it. I didn't want M to be able to solve it, and I. And and the victim blaming from even within friendship groups and with from within loved ones is so prevalent in our culture because that's how we've learned to talk about it. And, you know, even realising, putting the film out there and re- realising how many people are affected by it and haven't spoken about it makes us understand that the victim blaming and the fear, the fears around talking about it are so big. So it was really um important to me that even though she is desperately trying to say it's not okay she's protecting herself and she's she's hoping that she's got it all wrong you know or like that she stumbles around it so much because she she doesn't have the language or the framework to to deal with it there's a question here from a a patreon supporter of ours alison critch um she got in touch that you know she loves the film and uh she wants to know what you think filmmakers should be doing in terms of showing good sex on screen because sex is, you know, film is kind of complicit in the lack of understanding um, of sex. So yeah, Alison is asking how you think filmmakers should be approaching 
uh, setting a positive blueprint for, for what sex looks like for young people watching? It's a great question. And we were actually all discussing it yesterday. We were like, name a scene that you're like, that is how you humanly have sex and not just this mythical version that someone's made up for screen. Because I was watching a film the other day, I can't actually remember what the, the thing was. But I was like, of course men think this is how you have sex. Of course it is, because what the fuck is that? There was no foreplay. Like, he shoved his penis inside it, and they've been thrusting, and suddenly everyone's having a great time. And I was like, this is mind-blowing. And it, w- it was like, it was so... It, it all clicked into place for me. I was like, yeah, this makes total sense. Culturally, we have to shift how sex is on screen. How we do it, I don't know. We write better sex scenes <laughs> and better characters and more, like, more, not romantic, because I don't even think it needs to be romantic. It just needs to be, like, more real to life. Um, another Patreon supporter, Tanme Taraska, has emailed in from India. Um, she would like to know uh, what it was like working with your fellow collaborator, Charlotte Regan, on Scrapper, because, of course, you were the cinematographer on that very busy year for you last year molly i don't know where you i don't know where you fit in um both of your films they point out premiered in the same year i would like to know how you juggled your duties on both films it was quite good because scrapper shot the year before so like 2021 end of summer we shot scrapper and then we pretty instantly started scouting how to have sex and casting off the back of that and then it wasn't till the next summer that we shot how to have sex while they were in the edit and then I was in the edit for how to have sex when it premiered and they they gave me four days off to go to Sundance and actually it was like one of the best things for the edit because I watched a load of films at Sundance I was like okay if I'm gonna go I'm gonna get inspired and I watched like four films a day like the 8 30 the 12 the 3 and the 12 and the midnight and 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 came away thinking must not make a long film you know or like I really became an audience member in a way that was like much more um much more than than I was a director at that point if that made sense um and then we obviously didn't premiere for like another three or four months so it's been quite and also having Charlotte I mean she's such a gem of a human and it's such a weird strange alien process that I think very few people understand and yeah, having Charlotte has been totally a blessing. We're often texting each other, this is crazy. Um, <laughs> and she's just an amazing person to have around, yeah. Both films were, of course, like incredibly beautiful coming-of-age stories uh, devoted to the inner lives of these young girls who were you know, very different films in tone, very different characters at the centre of them. But both of these characters had this incredible dimensionality to them. Did the experience of kind of going from one to the other teach you anything about like the necessity of, of telling the story of characters like Tara and, and of the protagonist in, in Scrapper? Yeah, I think um, I think it hopefully will change with the impact of like female, lots more female f- um, filmmakers in the industry, which is like feels so radical this year especially it's like amazing what's happening in the film industry um and i think lots of teenagers have come up to me after screenings and been like thank you for not hypersexualizing me or like making a cartoon version of me or and i think 
often young female stories have been told from a male perspective and 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 evidently it's changing and and so hopefully getting films that then talk to women on a, on a different level. Have you started to map out your plans for what comes next, Molly? I mean, I know it's been such a whirlwind. You probably haven't had a, a single second, but have you have you started to think about things? Yes, yeah, just getting started. As in, I've got a lot of writing to be doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, next few weeks, I'm going to start getting into you. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? Like thematically, like the areas you want to explore, and and do you think you'll you'll there there'll be some overspill from what you explored in how to have sex with what you do next or do you want to do something completely different i think i want to do something completely different I, i'm really interested in like trojan horses i always call them like i guess how to have sex is not much of a trojan to- horse but like you know politically um charged films but like kind of set in an entertaining world where you can kind of get lost in the world and then you're like oh shit shit that's trying to tell me something um I want. I want. I'm. I'm interested in sort of like gender and queerness, and there's not enough good lesbian films out there. That's what I've been deep, deep delving on. <laughs> well, whatever it is you do next, Molly, I'm. I'm really excited to see it. Thank you so much for making this film. Thank you so much for this conversation today. I've had an absolute blast chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Scripts Apart. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder that if you want to help the show continue to grow, you can join us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash script apart or clicking the link in today's show notes. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.